You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, 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 good people. What is happening? We've got a bonus for you this week. Why not? Let's stack another fantastic episode into the week for you. This one is with my dude, Krista Makes from Less Than Jake, and Krista Makes a Podcast. I recorded with him a few weeks ago. We had a really, 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 really excellent chat, and I've been really enjoying his podcast. He's had so many of my favorite musicians on to talk about their songwriting process, and it is just a ton of fun. I was really, really stoked that he agreed to come on this show, and I think you're really going to like this episode too. But before we get into that, just a couple quick things to get out of the way. One of them being the patrons of this podcast already heard this episode. They got an early look in addition to all of the extra bonus content that they exclusively get over there. They also get early sneak peeks once in a while, and this was one of them. So if you'd like to support the show for five bucks a month, you can get extra content beamed to your ears every week. You just go to patreon.com slash tone mob, or the link is in the show notes, or you can go to patreon.com and search tone mob. It's real easy to find. And honestly, that helps so, so so much. I can't even hardly begin to describe. It sounds like a little bit, but really it's enormous, enormous. So huge shout out to the patrons who make that all possible. And, you know, if you can be one, I would appreciate that. But if you can't, please, as always, tell a friend about this show. If you like it, if it helps make your commute easier or distracts you while you're washing dishes or whatever, if it's any help to you, please tell a friend. I'd really, really appreciate it. All right, that's enough intro for this one. Let's get right into this episode with Krista Makes. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff, kind of, occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Krista Makes from Less Than Jake, and Krista Makes a Podcast. What's going on, man? That's the first time anybody ever gave me a dual, uh, dual introduction. Thank you. Well, you know, I told people you were coming on, and a lot of people uh, were like, hey, these are two of my favorite podcasts colliding. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Krista's hasn't been around that long, but uh, it's like it has picked up a lot of steam, and I really, really enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to go back and check yours out now that I am uh, now that I'm aware of it. That's very cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nerd fest. Mine can be a real nerd fest at times. That's, o- <laughs> that, that's okay though. <laughs> but I like how you get into dissecting the the individual songs. Sometimes people will go with like a whole album, and you're taking it down to a little more granular level. Where did you get that idea? Yeah, well, I have. Uh... Uh, attention deficit disorder. They, when I was a kid, they just sent me to the corner for an hour in school, but they have all kinds of fancy names for it now. So yeah, one song works better for me than uh, trying to do a whole album. I'd never make it through uh, <laughs> attention span wise. Uh, but the idea really stemmed from my manager, um, Chris Ophelios, who's also my co-producer or my producer of the show. Um, and uh, he manages me outside of, uh, of Less Than Jake. And last year, he had suggested doing a podcast, and I was kind of against the idea because you know there's so many podcasts out there, and as you know, uh, a lot of them aren't that great. <laughs> so, so I was just like, I don't want to be just another podcast. It's not great. He's like, No, we're going to have a theme. You know, you're doing these these custom songs you're writing, and you're doing jingles, and you're you're co-producing songs with people online uh, during during lockdown. 
and this would be a great uh, another another vehicle to get get those uh, get the word out there about that. And and we, we're going to stick to a central theme. We're going to pick a hit song from an artist to discuss, critique, and analyze each week, and it'll be great. And once I wrap my head around it, it, it made a lot of sense. It was a a really good thing for me when it came out, and I started listening to it because I have. For a long time, the listeners are getting so tired of me talking about this, I'm sure. But, you know, it is what it is. I just, for the longest time, have made gear demos. And that was, like, really my only musical outlet. I would, you know, this pedal sounds like this, ju-ju-ju, which is valuable in and of itself. You know, those are a lot of fun. And that's what drew me into this whole guitar world initially. But I got away from making music just to make music. And listening to the people that you have on your show and the combination of that and a bunch of other things, but also like guests that have came on and talked about it. I was like, okay, I need to get back to just making music again. And so I buckled down and put out a record earlier this year and, and I haven't ever done that by myself. So, and it's weird, like really strange music. I don't expect that uh, half the audience even cares about it. The, the amount I talk about it, but your show helped drive that home. Well, thank you. That's a really nice compliment. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, the the thing for me was really being able to, like I said, you know, when, when Chris suggested, you know, just getting into the song. And I, I really try to stick um, kind of everything in layman's terms in the show. I've had a few people reach out and I'm, I'm thankful for your show. I'm going to direct them to your show. And there's a couple other ones. But, you know, um, you know, and I, I know Ultimate Guitar, they do rig rundowns. And, uh, did, you know, there's different, different podcasts that do these things because people are like, well, man, it'd be cool if you got into gear. And I'm like, man, if I get into gear on my show, I'm going to lose a lot of my listeners. You know, I try to re- keep things really basic, but you know, for something like you're doing, people are tuning in because they want to hear that as, as you said, nerdy stuff, you know? So for me, it was real important. And a lot of times I'll, I'll explain myself on my podcast. I'll say, you know, an A&R guy, he does this because, you know, not everyone knows. So I, I try to keep it. I've had, and that's been one of the nicest compliments I've had on my podcast, people say, Hey, you know, I don't know the first thing of songwriting, but I could make it through an episode and learn something. So I think that's pretty cool. For sure. For sure. Well, let me take maybe my listeners back a, a long ways at this point, because I, I, I've been following you guys for a long time and I know you were active before I was even aware. Uh, let's go back as far as makes sense to your early guitar playing days and, maybe the 30,000 foot view of what got you to where you are now? Well, I, I didn't start playing guitar till I was almost 18. So I really picked the guitar up when the band started. Uh, and it was bore out of frustration. And I'll get to that in a moment. Um, you know, for those who have heard me tell this, I'll, I'll give the brief description here because I don't need to go through the whole thing. But I, I've, I've talked about this before. My mom and dad um, are musicians. So my earliest memories were following them around to you know, bingo halls and weddings and, and bar mitzvahs and churches and Elks lodges and bars and nightclubs uh, playing and, and they would sing together. My dad played guitar and my mom would sing with them. And so music was just all in the household. It was all encompassing. So my brother was about uh, probably 13. He got this uh, Yamaha guitar that just sat under the bed collecting dust for a couple of years. And I was getting ready to go three hours north to Gainesville, Florida, where I went to the University of Florida. I was five, four and a half months shy of my 18th birthday. And I thought, you know what, what the hell, I'm going to take this guitar up there. And I knew a couple chords. My dad had showed me chords over the years, but I, I, it was never like a passion. I always thought of myself as a singer. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, you know, the guy holding the mic stand, running around the stage with, with a microphone. And I got to Gainesville and, and I started to go to record stores and, and, and places where you would find, uh, you know, in the back of the local uh, college newspaper, it would be, you know, singer wanted for, for whatever band. And I went to a couple auditions and man, I just, you know, wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear in my head. And I was frustrated. And after a couple of weeks, this would have been probably, uh, yeah, probably a couple of weeks, a month after I had landed in Gainesville, I, I got that guitar, which was now under my bed in my uh, apartment at college, uh, got it out and started, you know, putting on records and started figuring songs out and writing songs. And it was maybe three or four months later, the, the very first Less Than Jake demo was, was created. That's, a, that's interesting. Did you have 
some other influences that were informing that idea that you had in your head or where was that coming from? Well, you know, when I went to college, it was a very weird time. It was the early nineties. So it was music was coming out of the eighties, which everything was just larger than life concerts. It was grandiose. The hair was big. The makeup was big. Heavy metal was big. And there was a real backlash in the early nineties. You know, the, if you want to call it this term, but grunge slash alternative music came in and Everything got stripped down. So when I was going to these auditions, it was crazy. Like I'd walk in, there'd be like some guy with a bad religion shirt and a mohawk. I'm like, okay, that's kind of in my league. And then I'd look over and there'd be a guy next to him look like a lumberjack, like Eddie Vedder. You know, he'd be in the, into like Pearl Jam. And then the guy next to them would like be, you know, have eyeliner on and still be like listening to Motley Crue. So I was like, it was just weird. It was a weird time. And I remember walking into one of the auditions and, and, and the guy was like, yeah, we, we want a little Sex Pistols vibe. But then, and then the other guy's like, yeah, but like mix it with a little Queensryche. I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> you know, and I love both bands. I love the Pistols and I love Queensryche, but I don't I don't get it. So anyways, uh, it was it was a very, very strange time. So for me, I was <laughs> I, I, I said to myself, well, hell, I want to start writing what, what I'm hearing in my head. And at that point. Uh, I'd already been immersed in punk rock for a couple of years. And I was really, for me, it just spoke to me because it, it was three chords and I could play three chords and it was just learning how to play them well and in different, in different patterns. It's kind of like the game Simon says. So uh, I, 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 you know, just locked myself in that room and, and played away. I'm still sitting here trying to imagine what a Sex Pistols and Queensryche combination would sound So am like. I. And it's been almost 30 years. <laughs> you can imagine what I'm going through still. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a lot to absorb for me right now. What like <laughs> trying to process what that would even sound like? But I'm sure it's doable. I just don't know. I don't know if my brain is the one that would be able to put it out. That's incredible. Yeah, and Gainesville is such a melting pot at that point. There's, you know, it, it's a college town, so every four months there's a new batch of kids coming in, new batch of artists, comedians, doctors, lawyers, musicians, just all different people coming in. So in my scene, the music scene, there was always an influx of people and new bands popping up and. There was a ton of bands and there was a lot of talent. But there was only a few bands that I liked and I was zeroing in on and, and they happened to be in the punk rock scene. You know, there was some other, there was some, you know, funk bands like white boy funk was happening kind of in the early nineties and it just wasn't speaking to me. And, you know, there was the alternative stuff that was just kind of dark and gloomy and I wanted something fun. I wanted something energetic and, and, and that's, uh, that's what punk rock was. One of my memories of watching you guys live. And it, it it really hit me at the time because I was like this, you know, uh, I don't know what, what kind of kid you want to call me, like some sort of hardcore kid that wasn't actually hardcore, but pretended to be, you know, one of those guys. And I remember watching you guys on a warp tour. And I think, I think you guys played right before Under Oath, if I'm remembering correctly. And this was probably 2005-ish, somewhere. And I remember, uh, you know, I mean, I was, I was a fan of the band. I, I know what like, year it was. It was 2006. But 2006? Anyways. Okay. <laughs> That's the first time I met Under Oath, so I remember. Okay, okay. So that makes sense. I mean, I remember it was, I think you guys played right before them, and you were like, a lot of these bands are up here screaming their heads off. <laughs> and I like that stuff. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, uh-huh, go on. And you're like, but we're here to sing. And then you guys just belted out these these great melodies like live. I I don't think I'd caught you live before then. Maybe I had. I'm trying to remember. But and it was like, wow, this is they, you know, they have a point. Like everyone is up here screaming their head off. And there there is a place for kind for of fun but, melodies, you know. Kind of, but you know, and I, I caught some grief for that back in the day. And I, I I've had to kind of watch myself as the years went by. It's like I don't want to hurt people's feelings. It was, you know, our show's just really tongue in cheek. And uh, as the world has gone on since then, you know, I, I think it's way more uber sensitive. So I try to be mindful of things like that because I'm friends and have been friends with most of the bands out there. And I'll be honest with you, when you know, joking about the screaming, I can't scream like that. I can't right. do it. I can't do what they do. So, you know, and I know that <laughs> <laughs> I lose my voice after the third song. I'm like, some of these guys, like I got friends in death metal bands and they're just like, I'm like, how the hell do you sing like that for an hour and a half every night? Well, I'm, I totally know what you mean because back in those days, I could scream like that. I could do that. And as it's gone on, I'm still not a good singer, but as time has worn on and I've fallen out of practice of it, I can't do it anymore. I'm a better 
singer now, better clean singer now. Still not a good one, but better. And I have lost my ability to scream. It is a thing that you have to learn how to do. And I don't... I'm going to have to bust out the old Melissa Cross DVDs. I don't remember how to do it anymore. <laughs> well, a lot, of it, a lot of it's called age. I used to be able to party till 4 in the morning and take an exam at 7 a.m. and, and not, not even flinch, you know. Well, that could be it. <laughs> I don't want to admit it, but the, the little white hairs that are creeping out in my beard are trying to tell me otherwise. So maybe I'll have to come to terms with that one of these days. Yep. Oh, man. But since this is supposedly sort of a gear-based show, like, what did your... Did you ever pay attention to that stuff very much or did you just kind of plug in and rip? What did the evolution of the gear side of things look like for you over the years? Tons of gear. You know, tons of stuff. You know, but... Our sound has always kind of been, you know, uh, we, we were trying to go for big guitars, which we only have one guitarist, me. So I just wanted to get a big, uh, you know, dirty tone, distortion tone, uh, if you will. Uh, and then we have the clean side of it, you know. So my, my setup's really been just those two tones. And then I'll have uh, a couple other channels. I'll have that dirty tone um, with a little bit of maybe delay on it. Uh, for like solos, and it'll be like a just a tad bit louder, just t- just to cut through uh, for solos and riffs. And then uh, on the clean tone, same thing. I'll have uh, the pretty much the same clean tone, but I'll have a little uh, little delay or a little chorus uh, mixed in with it. So you know when I'm doing like these arpeggiated picking parts or something, uh, that it it you know kind of gives it a little different tone. And as far as amp setups, my first amp ever was a Fender M80 that I was playing out of. And actually, it was a it was a music man my dad had given me, and I was running a some kind of distortion processor square box. I don't remember what it was. Our our drummer's uh, ex girlfriend stole out of the music store for me. She was good at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember it was funny. I, I that music man with that with that Yamaha guitar and that uh, distortion uh, box that she had stolen. Effects processor. I remember. Uh, these guys called Radon and Gainesville were like gods to me. They're like, you know, the, the vocal punk rock heroes. They're a guitar player. We, our first show ever, we played, we played with them. And Dave, the guitar player, Dave Rome, came up after me and says, man, I really love your sound, man. It sounds huge. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm using my dad's amp, my brother's guitar, and an effects processor that my drummer's girlfriend stole. Cool. Okay. That works. And, and my, the guy from my favorite band is telling me it sounds good. So we're, we're going to go with it. Yeah, of so, course. Um, you know, and then from there, it just kind of evolved. I, I ended up losing that Yamaha guitar. Uh, I had it in the back of a pickup truck, and uh, my <clears throat> door to the uh, back of the pickup, or the tailgate, had, had fallen. I, I maybe hit a pothole too hard, and the guitar flew out. Went back and looked for it, could never find it. I ended up getting a Les Paul Epiphone after that. Played that for a couple years, and uh, at that point, I got a JCM 900. I got a... a Marshall 900 amp that I was playing with that. Then from there, I went to Telly's for a little while. Uh, then around 2001 Warp Tour, Ernie Ball was out there and they were giving me guitars for a while. And I was playing those for some time. And then probably around that time, we got a Mesa Boogie contact. I switched to Mesa. I was using the double. Then I went to the triple rectifiers. Um, somewhere around there, I picked up a 2001, a pair of 2001. Uh, uh, Les Pauls, and was playing them through the through the through the boogies, and then from there, let me think. I'm trying to think where from there I went to. Yeah, then I got a deal around probably 2008 or nine, maybe ten, with Blackstar. They gave me an endorsement. I was using Blackstar amps, and then I went to a company that was making. It was kind of like a Gibson knockoff. They were. It was a company uh, out of Tampa, Florida, that bought a Japanese imprint called Electra. It was a Japanese guitar company in the late seventies. Okay, and, yeah. And they went ahead and uh, bought the trademark and opened up a shop, a factory in Tampa. And they were fans of the band, and they started uh, giving me guitars. I was playing them for a little while, and then I went uh, around 2014 or 15. I finally realized that the future was a Kemper for me and I got a Kemper uh, and it was just great. I could, I could uh, literally, if I had to uh, carry this thing on a plane 
And when I opened it up in Tokyo, Japan, Melbourne, Australia, Toronto, Canada, Detroit, Michigan, wherever I opened this thing up and I plugged in, my sound was there. So I no longer had to worry about rental gear or anything. And it was probably 2016, I think, that I got a deal, uh, endorsement with GNL guitars. And I've been playing GNLs uh, ever since. And I love them. So I got the GNL set up now through my Kemper with like my same like four sounds that I described earlier. And uh, I got lace pickups in the uh, swapped out lace pickups, which I love. Uh, really nice high gain, clean pickup for what I do. And that's been that's been my setup for the past couple of years. Are you using any pedals? No, just uh, just the foot switch for the Kemper. Has it been like the the switch to a Kemper? And I know like this is a you know this is a thing, quote unquote, in the gear world. Is did you miss anything from having like the traditional tube amp rig by switching to that? Nope, nope. All and, 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 and nobody and nobody that I've talked to has. I'm sure there's guys that maybe have, but nobody. And, and one of the one of the most uh, staunch supporters of tube amps and and quote unquote real old fashioned gear is Brian Baker from Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. And finally, Brian called me and he says, uh, "Hey, dude, what is going on with these Kempers?" And basically, I just told him what I told you a moment ago that. You open it up anywhere and, and it's great. You don't have to worry about, you know, so many times I get out there and they'd be like, you know, the, there'd be a, a, a production company be like, well, we got a Mesa boogie and we got a Marshall for you here. Cool. I'm going to try the Mesa first. Oh, that sounds awful. And then you plug in the rental uh, Marshall and it sounded even worse. You're like, okay, I guess I'm playing out of the horrible sounding Mesa tonight. And then other times you'd get somewhere and the gear would be pristine, the best sounding, you know, amp or head you ever heard. So it was always a toss up. So for me, uh, Getting the Kemper was just it was just amazing. You know, I could I could take it anywhere, and I could build my sounds. I built all my sounds in it. It's funny when I started using it. Um, it was really the first time I ever got compliment on tone for both the clean and the dirty from from guys that I respect. You know, I'd be playing festivals and I'd get off stage and there'd be you know someone from a band I respect and even guys in bands that I know that I didn't know personally. I'm like, dude, your guitar tone is gnarly. It sounds huge. You know, we're not using any cabinet. I have cabinets on stage, just dummy cabinets for show. But everything is direct through the PA. My sound guy loves it because he's not getting any bleed through the front microphones because we have, you know, four microphones across the front plus horn microphones. Everybody sings in the band across the front line, our two horn players and Roger and I. So for me, it's been the best of both worlds. I've had the same sound now for going going on six years. I've been using the same stuff. That's the longest span I've ever won. I finally... After the longest time, I found what what definitely works for me. Do you use it while recording as well? I do. Um, I don't use the same sounds. I have uh, different, you know, all kinds of different, you know, all the stock sounds that came with it. And then I've gotten I've gotten sounds from from friends and stuff that I've gotten offline. So, uh, but yeah, I, I use it for recording. It's it's perfect. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know a lot of people who will use a Kemper or insert digital version of a rig here and then they'll use something else in the studio to record and i always find that interesting yeah because it's like it's interesting that they can dial in those very similar sounds if not exactly the same sounds on yeah well when when you're okay you asked me for recording so for less than jake stuff no we're still using old school a blend of amps like our last record we were using like three or four different amps blended in Mm-hmm. Uh, all all together for for our for our sounds. So, but when I'm doing my stuff at home, I do you know custom songs and I do jingles and different things and all my demos and things. I I I, I record through Kemper. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I I, I was I should have specified. I know you do both, but uh, anyway, yeah, Brian, I need to get Brian on the show sometime. He's he comes up quite often, as you can imagine. Last, actually, the last time we talked about Brian Baker extensively was with Dave Hawes and he came on the last in-person interview that I did uh, right before it, it's really a weird memory in my head. Cause we, we were hanging out, we recorded his episode, watched him play live. We obsessed over Les Paul juniors and talked a lot about Brian Baker. And then literally like a day or two later, that was when you would go on Instagram mm-hmm. 
and every single post was a musician. Oh, if you follow lots of musicians like I do, every single post was a musician canceling their their gigs because of COVID. And that's I think that was the moment for me that I was like, oh wow, we're in for we're in for something here. <laughs> like yeah. this is gonna be gnarly. Now, Brian and Brian wasn't the only one. Uh, we were out on the Punk and Drublik tour over in Europe, and the tech for NoFX had come up and was talking to me about Hefe and Melvin because Melvin had just gotten uh, a Kemper, and they were trying to talk Hefe into it. And he was kind of, eh, I don't know. And now they're all everyone's using Kempers, man. I can't, I can't think of a band in recent memory that I run with that, that's not going Kemper or or a uh, something similar. Yeah, Axe Effects or something. Line yeah, six. Line one six. Like one, yeah, one of the one of the five five or six that are prominent out there now. And uh it's just it's so efficient and and you know, I don't try to sell anybody on it though. If, they, if someone wants to come ask, but I'm not out there uh, the ambassador for Kemper, like you gotta get this. It's the best thing in the world. It's the best thing for me, but it may not be for you. Yeah, see, I'm the guy who will always be like, No, I wanna do the old school, you know, quote unquote way, but I, I always try to remind my listeners whenever I'm like joking about this on the internet, it's like I am a, a glorified bedroom player at best. And if I was touring, I would almost certainly have a digital rig of some sort. I don't know which one it would be, but I would definitely have something I could throw in a backpack and maybe a small pedal board because there's a certain, you know, there's certain effects that I use that aren't, aren't really available in those formats yet. But that's just because I do really weird things. And uh, for most people, I think you can get a passable to excellent sound out of these things. It's not the same as the Line 6 pod from back in the day. I think <laughs> that scared a lot of people away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, the technology just wasn't there yet. But, you know, you could really, uh, you could profile any sound you want to. That's what I did. I profiled all my stuff in, in, in uh, Roger's studio. So I got all my sounds of so any any pedals and different sounds that you wanted. You you could profile it onto the camera. That's what's amazing about it. That's uh, it's what I love. It's so so adaptable. But but yeah, you know, uh, it's they they did a side by side of I can't remember where I saw it, YouTube or something. It was these old like blues cats. These guys were like in their seventies and like no, nah, we're never those amp simulators are a pile of crap. And they would take their little you know Fender Tweed amp and 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 they'd mic it up and then they'd have you know, they would profile it through the Kemper, same amp, and then they'd have the guy play. And it was like, you know, <laughs> they, they'd guess it every other time. It was like 50. They, they could not tell. They, they, which amp is that? That's the Kemper. Or no, no, it's not. That's yours. Which amp is that? That's mine. Nope, it's the Kemper. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so they've, 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 gotten, they've gotten that good. And I think they're going to continue get, to get better. Yeah, I mean... It's it's really incredible. I, I talked to a guy, you know, I talked to a lot of different people on the show, but I talked to a guy uh, named Nedarb, and he he is in a like screamo band called If I Die First, and that's how I found out about him. But through talking to him more, he I realized like he did production for the rapper Lil Peep, and like has millions of Spotify listeners in the like hip hop world. And I was like, wow, I didn't know this about him before we <laughs> before we decided to do this interview. And he told me, you know, it, this is just kind of a descriptor for how amazing technology and access to all this stuff is now. He these songs that he's done that are some of the biggest songs with with younger kids like ever. He's like, I did it all with my laptop and free plugins. <laughs> like Yeah. It's like we're just in a different time with the the access and ability to create music has never been more uh, democratized. And I think that's a really good thing. I think that allows for more people to be able to shine. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think for the most part, it's good. You know, it's it, it shut down those $300 an hour studios with guys that didn't know anything about music, you know, and Less Than Jake has recorded in those places before where it was just, you know, they were, you, you were on a conveyor belt, next band, $300 an hour, here we are. So it shut down all that, that garbage. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to, uh, you, can't, you have to wade through a sea of, of uh, a lot more uh, stuff to get to the good stuff. So 
Uh, well, I, I, I agree with you for the most part, but it's definitely, you know, anyone can record <laughs> anybody <laughs> now. And, and, and a lot of people, it's, it's remarkable. I'll get demos from people that, you know, they, they built these songs, uh, from the ground up with, with, uh, you know, drum simulators and amp, amp simulators and, and sang it and recorded in their bedroom. And it sounds like full band recordings. It's, it's great. Yeah. You do have to wade through a lot, but how much more do you think? we're going through now versus you know the old days of thumbing through a record bin or a cd bin you know and a ton more but like you're actually listening to it though most of the time you're like do i like the cover of this uh no pass like i think we're actually getting to experience a lot more music kind of but there's so much how many times have you done this it's like here's the new insert band name here you know it's on blabbermouth or some you know punk news or something you click on it and you make it through 10 seconds ago, I don't like that. Next. You know, yeah. you used uh-huh. you used to when you would buy something and go, okay, I like the cover of this. This, this looks like a great death metal record. I'm going to buy this for 15 bucks. And you put it on. You weren't going to stop it after 10 seconds. You just paid $15 for that. That's true. That's true. So, you know, again, not, not trying to be argumentative. I, I agree with your point on one hand, but I, I certainly think that music, music's become a lot more... Uh, disposable in that in that sense it's just there's just so much i get sent not even joking we i feature a segment on my show called band you might not know and uh, i probably get 30 to 40 band submissions a week not to mention like my dms on my across my socials and the less than jake socials there's always people sending us stuff uh in the day that was in the form of a you know coming to our po box with a demo tape or or a cassette or or a cd a uh, lot few, few and farther between, but it's just, it's constant now. Because again, going back to what we were talking about, it's, it's so much easier to, to create uh, music that's, that sounds halfway decent straight out of your home. Yeah, I didn't really think about it from that angle. I get about half of that uh, because I, maybe because I don't actively, like actively ask for it. I'm still not actively asking for it. Don't send me your demo tapes. I'm just kidding. Send me your demo, demo tapes if you want. <laughs> but uh, like, that is a good point. And, and then, you know, you have to have, try to have time to listen to all this stuff and give it a, give it a fair shake. But at some point, especially at the volume that you're talking about, you literally can't, you, you can't, no, you, I, you can't I, do I, it I, all. I don't, when I, when I pick my bands and my segments, I, I honestly, I go through them. I'll be like, okay, got to get a band for this episode. And I go back to the bottom, you know, and I, and I'm like, the bottom of the you know, very first emails I was getting last summer, like, okay, I already picked that band, I already picked that band. Oop, haven't checked this one out. And I'll listen. And the first thing I listen for, because I always say on the, you know, make sure you send a, a decent quality recording. And I'll listen if, if does it sound decent? Did they put some effort into this? Because it's not that hard to get a decent recording. <laughs> Everything's digital. You know, you you got it at your disposable, your disposal at your at your own home. So if it, it passes the audio test, and mind you, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a Metallica production here or anything, but, you know, it's got to sound decent. And then I listened to a little bit of the song and, and a lot of times it's just that this is, this is the band. It's going to be perfect. And other times like, yeah, there's not much here and then I'll go to the next track. But I've been really, really fortunate and surprised with the quality of, of the songs that I've been getting. It's been, it's been great. Do you have a style that you gravitate towards? For that segment? Uh, for anything, for that segment, or for just your own personal pleasure? Oh gosh, no! I listen to I listen to whatever I like. I've al- I've always been that way. I, uh, you know, if I was going to say one style, it'd probably be you know, from what I grew up with mostly, would just feel good eighties pop and eighties rock. That's that's when I grew up. Uh, you know, everything from you know, immersed in the household uh, to what was on MTV as a kid to. Uh, driving back and forth to little, little league games, what was on the radio. And so uh, it would kind of be that. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I, my musical palette has changed. I rarely uh, sit around and listen to anything that's punk or ska. Uh, and not because I don't love punk and ska, but I, I listen to, I listen to a, lot, a lot of different stuff. I mean, you've been saturated in it. So like me, like I used to kind of only listen to heavy bands. And... I'm I'm going away from that a little bit more. Not that I still don't. I mean, I still listen to heavy bands usually when I'm working out. But you know, now I I want to branch out. Like I want to. Sometimes I just want to put on a Willie Nelson record, which I also yeah. I grew up with that too. But I I definitely spent a few where few years away from the old school country and 
came back into it later in life. But um, it's it's strange how we go through these processes. And then when you're, I don't know if it's the same for you or not, but when I was younger, it was like, I kind of, I, d- I acted like I didn't care, but I actually did kind of care. Like, I want people to know that this is what I listen to. This is part of my thing. This is my image, so to speak. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, I'll, yeah, I don't care. I'll listen to Britney Spears. Toxic's a great jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I, you know, for me, it's, it's really, and especially now that I'm, that I'm doing the show, is I really want to branch out. And I have been, you know, uh, the first probably four, five, six guests that I had on the show, they, they were just my friends. They were all in my world. And it was easy to acquire those guests. But as time has gone on, you know, I want to get into the country. I want to get some hip hop artists on. I want to get, you know, if there's a, a jazz contemporary hit, and, I, and I'm not really into jazz music, but um, if there was a, a jazz artist that was number one in the jazz charts and the song was blowing up, I want to, I want to dissect that song. I want to have them on. I don't want to be a one, one dimensional show. And uh, I've started to do that. I've, I'm starting to have some some different artists, not just people that are in my world, because um, I don't want to just be a, a one trick pony. Have you found any common threads, either in your own process or in dissecting others' processes, of like the construction of a song? Uh, like for me, it's completely changed. So I'm curious what you've discovered. I've discovered mostly similarities. Um, and that's not surprising because, you know, songs are songs. They have to start with an idea and an inspiration. And then, you know, so there was tons of similarities, but I have learned a lot. You know, just I did an episode the other day where it was interesting that they weren't doing full sentences, like harmonies on them. It was just like one word here or there. And it was like the first pre-chorus, it was on like the first and third line. And the second pre-chorus was on the second and fourth line. But it was just one word where a harmony vocal would come in. I was like, and I was asking the artist about it, and they're like, "Yeah, I never really thought about that. Like that was that was our producer that did that." And I was like, "That's cool, you know, just the, something as simple as that." To where I'm like, "I want to do that in a song. That's neat. It's it, it kind of gives the listener something different between the first and the second pre-chorus. It's not predictable. Like here comes the harmony again. Oh, it's not there. It's on the it's on the third line this time. So things like that are what I find in, in, intriguing, and just the people's thought processes and what inspires them and how they write and how." how lyrically um, they, they put forth imagery in their songs. It's, it's uh, cause everyone is, is different. There's no, no, uh, none of, none of us human, two humans are the same. So uh, I've, I've, I've learned a lot. It's very cool. Yeah. I, I personally have like used to really force things. I used to like, I'm going to write this kind of song. And then I would try to sit down and push it out. And that, that was a hard process actually. And, Lately, I've just come to the conclusion. I'm like, just plug in and see what happens. You're feeling something right now. Just go with it and just let it be what it is. You know, don't try to force it into something that it's not. And don't try to create something that you you don't have in your wheelhouse. Just go with it. Don't try to force things. That's been something that was really helpful for me to learn in the last year or so. Yeah, and that's that's cool that you discovered that. That's interesting because... I that's something I discovered a long time ago from mostly from working with producers. When we first started working with the producer, we they'd be we'd be in the studio and I'd be like, you know, there's gotta be something here, gotta be something here. And finally, you know, never forget one of the first producers we worked with was like, okay, next, what do you mean? We're not working on this song anymore. You we're trying to force a, a square peg into a round hole. It's not working. Go on to the next thing. We'll come back to it. You know, and that's mm-hmm. a restraint that I've had to to come back to and learn to embrace that uh, you, you can't force something. And when, you know, so, sometimes you have to work on a song, you have to cultivate it. But if you've spent three, three days trying to write the first verse, there, there's something wrong. It, sh- it should, it should be a little more natural than that. The muse isn't there. Yeah. Time to, time to come back. Yeah. Yep. So I told some people in the uh, Facebook group that's associated with this show that you were coming on. I'm not answering their questions. Okay, well, he said he's not answering your questions, everybody. Good night. Let's hear him. Let's hear him. <laughs> All right, we got a, We got a few. We got a few. Here, let's let's go and scroll through here. I do this in real time. A lot of people think I like pick these out well in advance. I'm like, no, I do it on the spot because that's how I roll. Perfect. So let's go with. Ooh, here we go. Uh, Charles Douglas Willis. He says, 
how do they decide on how many horn parts to put in the songs? Well, first of all, Charles Douglas Willis sounds like an author from the 1740s. I love that name. <laughs> Hello, I'm Charles Douglas Willis. Oh, it is um, quality. That is good. It, it, it is a quality name. Hi, Charles. Uh, how do we decide? It, it all depends on the song. It's like, you know, how do we decide how many backing vocals or, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it, no two songs that we, that we do are the same. Uh, and a lot of times the song goes through evolution where, you know, there'll be horns all over it. We'll scale it back or there won't be enough horn parts on it. And we've, you know, hey, there should be a horn part on this bridge that, that isn't there yet. So it, it's just, uh, it's all reflective uh, on, on the song, dependent on the song. Cool, cool. Let's see here. Um, oh, oh, this is a this is a good one. Dan Ryan, he says, with many other ska punk bands having fallen by the wayside through the year, through the years, what do you feel has given Less Than Jake the staying power? The lyrics and the melodies. I would. I, that's what I would actually say too. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you know, just we, the thing that. It's not like. It's it's not a shtick necessarily. It's just organically part of the song. Well, you would in my you head. would think you would think it is. We're we're a strange band. We got written off a lot because people would come see the live show, and we got guys running around in, in masks, and we're saying crazy stuff, and we're jumping around, and there's you know we're shooting toilet paper off the stage, and all this wackiness. And we're inviting people up to drink with us, and all this crazy. So we're just another wacky ska band, you know, uh, with these silly lyrics and. When you strip that back and you listen to what we're singing about, um, and we have some funny songs and wacky songs, certainly, but there's there's some depth to it, and and the melodies are really thought out that Roger and I sing, and and those melodies and those lyrics have translated to to memories for people. That uh, combined with the fact that we never took a year off, uh, there's bands that went away, they did their '90s thing, and they went away for five, six, seven years, and. Uh, we never did that. We stayed out there year after year after year uh, doing what we do. So I, I think it's a, it's a combination uh, uh, between bo- both of those things. And we you know, have pretty much maintained uh, you know, the, the core lineup. Our, our drummer, Vinny, left, uh, left the band three years ago. But up to that point, it was the same four guys uh, pretty much since the band started. So we've uh, you know, just tried to, tried to keep the same essence of what we've been doing all these years going. And, I think all those factors are, are the reason why we're still doing it. So here's another one that that's great. I, uh, I would, I would have said something very similar without actually, if, like, if you had to ask me, I'd have been like, well, listen to how things are actually constructed, you know? And then also you've just kept at it. I, that's uh, you, you picked it out of my brain. So I, I'm glad I, I guessed correctly. But uh, Co Schneider, he says, when does he see Ska making a triumphant return to the mainstream? Because I'm guessing in the next five years, we will see some sort of, quote unquote, big comeback. I think we already have. I think the Interrupters did. I think that oh, they, they, they were going out last summer on that Green Day, Weezer, and Fallout Boy tour. And uh, the rug got pulled out from, from that tour, of course. But, you know, they're right on the cusp. They were really, they're, they're the most active Ska band being played on the radio within the last. 20 years really you know so i'd say it's already happening i think the next wave i've said this i think it's going to be uh a combination of um you know very current style of music electronica type music uh sampled drums uh very pop oriented mixed with ska i think that uh that's going to be the next thing that that could could get on the radio i'm excited to see what that looks like that should be a lot of fun that's that's what that's what were, were my my instincts are telling me that, that it's going to go. But who the hell knows? All right, let's see what else we got here. <laughs> uh, Joe, I, I'm going to butcher your last name, Joe. I apologize. Wait, 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 wait. Just just spell it for me. I'm great at this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to uh, write it down. Okay, okay ready? Yep. Go ahead. Okay, I'm writing it down on a piece of toilet paper. By the way, go ahead. <laughs> I a C O V E L L A. Oh yeah, that's easy. Joe Icavella. Well, that's hey, what I was it's my get... friend Joe Icavella. Hey. <laughs> that's what I was Yo, gonna say in my head, but you know, <laughs> sometimes. Hey Joe. Yo Joe. 
Yo, Joe. Joe's Pizza, New York City, one of my favorites. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, my old friend Joe Icavella. <laughs> hi, hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. Wait, I probably like? actually butchered his name. It's probably Iacovila or something. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm always worried about. I'm like, do I roll the, the L's and the R's? I don't know. I have no idea. I can barely speak English. What's going on? Um, it says, ask him how he enjoyed doing those all slash descendant covers with just like them. He says, he looks like the happiest person I've ever seen in the videos. Oh, it's great. Those are, those are awesome. You know, and those really... I was contacted by those guys and it was funny. They were like, Man, you're one of the first people to get back to us. Like we couldn't believe it. You know, they were fans of, of mine and less than Jake. And they asked me to sing on one. And I, I said, uh, I said, yeah, let's do it. And it's been really cool. It's, um, it's no pressure. I've made a couple friends out of it and really it's, it's, uh, it's for the fans, you know, and I'm a super fan of, of uh, all in the, in the descendants. And so it was kind of a, kind of a no brainer and, and everyone seemed to, uh, to really, really enjoy it. Yeah. That, that is a, I think that joy comes through, you know, you can tell when somebody's having a really good time with what they're doing. I think that's what he's picking up on. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's something that, that all humans can relate to in one way or another. Oh, did I lose you? No, I, I was waiting for you to keep going. I didn't know if you wanted me to talk. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, edit. Some, edit. Sometimes it does cut out, and so I'm like, uh. No, I'm still here. Okay, good, good, good. I, good, I didn't good. trail off. I took, my, I took the right uh, cocktail of my meds this morning. We're all good. <laughs> Maybe we won't edit it out. We'll see. Fly by the seat <laughs> of our pants around here. There was one more question. Uh, that I wanted to get to, and I'm scrolling through trying to figure out where it went because it was in here. Where did it go? Oh, there we go. Uh, well, it's another one from Dan Ryan. Actually, this is a this is a great question. Old Dan the Double Dipper. Yep, he's coming back. We don't usually get to, but this is a good question. I want to hear the answer to it. So, is there anyone he's played slash collaborated with where he's found himself kind of starstruck, even though he's a well known well-known musician himself. Yeah, there's been a ton of them. I was asked to sing on, in again, The Descendants, Stefan uh, Egerton, their guitar player, uh, play also, also plays an all. Stefan asked me to sing on his solo record back in 2010. It's called The Seven Degrees of Stefan Egerton. I sang on a track called Print on Paper. So he... He recorded all the instruments themselves, drums, bass, guitars, everything. And then he picked, I think there's 15 or 16 songs on the record. He picked uh, uh, 15, uh, 16 different singers that he ran with over the years. And, and he, uh, he asked me to do it. So that was, that was one of the first things that comes to mind. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And I know there was another question in here that I can't, I can't figure out where it went. It's like vanished. Maybe it got deleted, but... Uh, I guess uh, I'll try to summarize it, even though I don't remember who asked the question because it's apparently vanished from Facebook. Uh, he was basically saying, do you have any recommendations for gear things, which I think we probably already covered a little bit, for someone trying to get a similar style to you, especially that upstroke ska style? Uh, you know, I, I, I pretty much talked about my gear. I think, you know, you can never... Can never I can tell you what I like, but everyone's different. I've always said this. I've always given this example. Um, you know, I, I could learn a Van Halen riff. I could pick up Eddie Van Halen's guitar through his rig, and it's not going to sound like Eddie Van Halen. Why? <laughs> because I'm not him. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I have a certain style. Everybody does. Uh, so I, it's hard to give gear ad advice. Um, you know, I, I've talked a lot about my gear. You know, uh, but I'd have to. I'd have to go and give you my exact profiles out of my Kemper <laughs> to give what, what I have. You know, I, I, I don't really know how to answer that. I think it's really dependent on, um, you know, what you hear. You have, you, you have to try out different uh, guitar and amp combinations. And, uh, you know, when, when you hear it, you'll know. Yeah. I, I always say I, I have a few people who message me fairly regularly and they're like, how, how would I set my gear up to, sound like x how would i you know how would i sound like this song 
and they'll send me a clip of a song to listen to. And I'm just like, man, you know, I'm not there in the room with you. Even if I tell you, like, turn your tone to three and turn this to that and turn that to this, that might not be right. Like, it, it, I can guess at it at best, but I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly where you need to set your stuff in order to sound like XYZ artist. Well, A, you're probably not going to sound like XYZ artist because like you said, you're not them. But, you know, that's just such a subjective thing. And in and also it varies room to room, which you've kind of solved with the Kemper to some degree. But like, you know, one, an amp in one room is going to sound different when you move it to the other room. And, you know, that tube scrimmer might all of a sudden be too muddy. Like it's a, yeah, and, it's a and subjective I'll, thing. I'll, yeah, it is. And a lot of that then goes to who you have doing sound for you. You know, if, if you get to the point where you're in a band that is, you know, beyond the local level and you're actually paying someone to do your sound and it's like, okay, this is a pretty muddy room. I have to cut these frequencies to, to make the tube screamer sound right in this room. So, you know, there's a whole, uh, whole list of, of factors that, uh, that go along with it. Yeah. I like to say like, close your eyes and use your ears. Because we do see, we, we hear with our eyes oftentimes, and that's not the way to do it. I've set things to where if you looked at the settings, you'd be like, what in the world is he doing? But you listen to it, and it's like, oh, that makes sense in the context of this situation. So definitely use your own ears and trust them, because your eyes can deceive you when it comes to numbers and dials and, and settings. Yeah, for sure. I, I never go, oh, can't believe I have the trouble cranked to eight on this. Does it sound right? If it sounds right, then then there's your answer. Mm-hmm. If it sounds good, it is good, people. Don't ever forget that. Well, I know you've got some things to get to, and we have a few classic questions I want to get into before we wrap up the podcast. But uh, before we do that, this is the point where I like to give everybody a chance to put up a billboard. You can say whatever you want to say to a few thousand people right now. You got a message you want to get across if you want to tell your uncle that you love him or whatever it is you want to do. This is your chance to shine. My uncle has really bad gas and I want to talk about him. <laughs> um, horrible childhood memories. Yeah, follow me uh, online. I'm on Instagram at less than Chris D, on Twitter at less than Chris, and uh, go to ChrisDemakes.com. That'll route you to my YouTube page, which is uh, a whole bunch of fun stuff on there. You can find my custom songs that I do if you like a custom song or a jingle. And uh, as we talked about, I'm on Krista Makes a Podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a songwriting podcast with uh, a bunch of artists that you probably know, some that you may not know. So that's uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. And of course, I play guitar and sing for Less Than Jake and we got uh, a bunch of stuff coming up soon. So check us out at lessthanjake.com and across all of our socials. And yeah, that's about it. Can't believe we're not going to talk about your uncle's gas. I really thought that we would get into that. I, we could talk about that for an hour on another episode. Okay. Well, like it would go that long. <laughs> wow. That's where, I first, that's where I first learned the term Dutch oven. Oh, no. This is a very, yeah. this is a very yeah. intense experience you've had as a child. <laughs> I can tell. We'll have yeah. to really analyze and dissect that on another episode. Okay. Classic questions. Here we go. So the first one is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, it's been so long since I had a boss pedal. Um, trying to think which one I had. Probably just one of their, I had like, I want to say it was like orange and white, like one of their distortion pedals. Orange and white. Orange and white. When you said orange, I immediately went DS1. Or, or yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it wasn't white, but I know it was orange. Okay. I had to have been a DS1 then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that circuit is underrated. I think a lot of people, don't know how to use it. I made a YouTube video about how I think people don't Actually, know how to I use just, it. Actually, <laughs> I just looked. Yep, that's the one. I just looked, I just looked it up. Yeah, love that I circuit. Knew. Yep. DS1. Good pull. I love the DS1. It's a classic for a reason. Just don't turn the tone knob up past, you know, too, just don't turn it up too far. Don't turn it up to where you'd set your tube screamer. You'll be in for a world of hurt. Anyway. Yeah, DS1. Good pull. All right. And this is a, this is one I've been very excited to talk to you about. But it's also, you know, a subject that is fairly divisive and, you know, families have split over this. It's pretty serious. So I hope you're prepared. I am. What is your favorite kind of pizza? 
favorite kind of pizza? Well, I will always just order a pepperoni because it's easy to pick that off for people that don't want it. If they're staunch vegan or vegetarians, they'll be pissed that it was on there and they'll be angry and they'll have to just go get their own pizza. So pepperoni <laughs> by default. If I were to do my own pizza, I like pepperoni, mushrooms, some onions, and, and some banana peppers. And if I'm having a really good day, maybe throw a little bit of sausage on there. Mm, I like that. You're a man after my own heart. How about crusts? What do you like? What do you like in the crust department? Thick, thin? Uh, yeah, probably like a, you know, I don't like like a deep dish or Chicago pizza. I like just like a, a, a regular, regular crust. You have a regional style you go for? Regional, like as in like a pizza chain or something? Pizza chain, a particular style, mm-hmm. you know, like you like a New York. Do you like a... Yeah, a, I guess you would call it an, a New York style pizza, you know, like a, a medium crust. But as far as chains, man, when you're in a touring band, you never want to see Domino's, Papa John's, Little Caesars or uh, <laughs> Pizza Hut ever again. So, yeah, no no chains. No. <laughs> I... I uh, I have a theory, but I want to hear your take on it because I think, based on what you said, you're you'd be more of a connoisseur. Out of the big chains, if you had to have one, which one are you going for? Probably these days, Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm going to go a deep dish pizza, there's there's a guilty pleasure with that. I'll I'll eat a slice of that, but um, you know, it's just it's about as low graded of uh, of dog food as you can get. I mean, it's the cheapest ingredients. It's bulk. Uh, ingredients that yes. they buy. Uh, it's just not good. So, yeah. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. I know you got stuff to get to. So thank you for spending the time with me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can talk again soon. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure, Blake. And uh, best of luck to you. And I'll see you down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Yep. All right, everybody. For Chris, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. There is your bonus episode with Krista Makes. Make sure you go check out his podcast if you have not already. And if you're new here, well, there's a ton more for you. There's 240 plus episodes back there you can check out if this is your cup of tea. Some of them get really weird. That's just a warning. And uh, yeah, but we have a lot of fun. So yeah, if you enjoyed this show, thank you very much. And please, please, please tell a friend. Tell a friend. And if you need to buy some gear, remember the links that we have associated with this show, tonemob.com slash sweetwater, tonemob.com slash reverb, and tonemob.com slash stringjoy. That's for sweetwater.com, reverb.com, and stringjoy.com, respectively. So if you need your instrument strings, you go to stringjoy, and that helps me out regardless of if you remember the link or not. Just support my people over there. I'd appreciate it. Reverb.com for your weird, interesting, quirky needs. And of course, if you want to buy new gear, Sweetwater is a massive supporter of this show. So tonemob.com slash Sweetwater really helps out quite a lot. All right, everybody. I think that's enough for this week's bonus. I'll talk to you in a few days with the normal episode. Thank you very much. Have a good one. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. 
Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.